Gang, since they opened in 2012, I've been talking about the amazing rehearsal spaces and fabulous recording studio at Space Rehearsal and Recording here in Austin. Well, gang, Space has upped their game over the last couple of years and added a couple of new factions. One is a video production studio. Space ATX has taken the major leap forward in their evolution to serve Austin's music community with their new video production department. They're now offering professional video production for bands, live streaming, live sessions, podcasts, and just about anything you can imagine. They've also added a creator studio. Maybe you want to take your TikTok or YouTube videos to the next level, or it's time to stop using your cell phone pics for all of your PR photos. Their newest production room is waiting for you. You can also book their in-house video or photography services or bring a freelancer to get the job done yourself. That's space, rehearsal, and recording located just a few short miles south of downtown Austin. They now offer rehearsal studios, audio recording, video production, a creator studio, and more. Go to spaceatx.com to find out more. And take the talent train from Schmoesville to ProTown with space, rehearsal, recording, and video production. Let's get down. Hey, gang, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of How Did I Get Here? I know you have a lot of choices out there, and the fact that you're listening to this episode right now is not lost on me, so thank you. I'm not sure what platform you're listening on, but whatever platform you're on, give us a follow. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating. It takes just a second, and it means the world to me. Plus, it really helps the show. So thank you in advance. And remember, the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here are available on all streaming services. Now, enjoy the show. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. I had a really good weekend, gang. I uh, had a gig with Skyrocket in Houston on Saturday, well, in Seabrook, just outside of Houston, on Saturday. So I went down on Friday and spent the, the, the night with my grandma and my Aunt Olga. And uh, my Aunt Olga and I made a lasagna from scratch, uh, spinach lasagna. We made, uh, we made the sauce from scratch and everything. It was really fun, and it turned out really, really good. I will say this, I bet if we would have started the sauce a little early, earlier and let it simmer for a couple more hours, probably would have packed a bigger punch because the next day when I tasted the lasagna, I heated it up and I had some, it, it packed a, a bigger punch. Like the flavors were more robust. They had a chance to sort of stew in there. So you realize that. Anyway, it was very fun to do that. And then Saturday I went to uh, Seabrook, Texas where Skyrocket played the Commodore ball at a yacht club. And uh, I don't know exactly what it was, some kind of celebration of the Yacht Club people. It's like the fourth or fifth time that we've played it. Um, we've played it many, many years. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun, man. It's a, it's a fun crowd. They're rich, man. They're there. They're at the Yacht Club. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like Caddyshack, even though that's a golf club. It has that same kind of vibe. <laughs> but people got down and they had a really good time. We had a great time. We actually had a really good show. Uh, I thought we all locked in together and played really well. I have, uh, 
the last few shows, I don't know if I've talked about this, but I've started wearing earplugs again on stage. And uh, man, it's making a huge difference after the show. I don't feel beat up the next day. Uh, my ears aren't ringing like crazy when I get home. I mean, just regular ringing. <laughs> but uh, the last couple of Skyrocket shows, Skyrocket's a seven-person band. And uh, play like rock and roll. We play dance music. And everybody really digs in. And sometimes when you dig in like that, starts off with the drummer digging in. So he's playing these acoustic instruments that are projecting this giant sound so everybody has to turn up to sort of match that so the volume can get pretty intense if we're digging in you know what i mean if darren's digging in which isn't isn't it isn't good or bad i think it's actually good because it's what separates us from other bands uh that don't really dig in i don't know if you know what i mean like sometimes you'll go see a cover band and they're going through the motions of playing but we're playing these songs like we wrote them ourselves and we're showcasing like at fucking uh, the Viper Room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we really dig in. We give all of our all what we have when we're playing these songs like like they're our own. Uh, so sometimes that does uh, end up being a little voluminous and, uh, and, and can leave me feeling a little beat up after a show. You know, imagine three hours of that. It's pretty intense. That's what those private shows are like. So uh, so I did wear earplugs. Of, it's the... I guess the third week in a row that I've done it. It's been great. Uh, I haven't been wearing them with Happy Land, but Happy Land isn't that loud, but there are a lot of people, again, seven people on stage. It's just going to be loud. Um, Hey, gang, on the Happy Land front, you know, we're doing those Mondays at Saxon Pub at 6 p.m. However, this coming Monday, which is the first Monday of uh, of February, uh, it's February 5th, Happy Land will not be playing because it's the BMI Showcase, but we will continue the next week. I think it's February 12th. We will be back on the stage over there at uh, at the Saxon Pub doing it up. How uh, I did want to let you know that on on Wednesday, <laughs> uh, February seventh, Wednesday, February seventh, I will be playing at the O Four Center as a special guest of Susanna Chauffel, who's having a songwriter in the round featuring me, Rachel Loy, and Michael Kincaid from What Made Milwaukee Famous, which is all we're all people that used to play at this place called Momos. If you weren't here back in the uh, 2000s earlier 2000s of austin uh that was a great place and we all played there sometimes we all played there together but Susanna chauffel uh you know her from the radio from sun radio she also is a fabulous musician great songwriter the very first guest on how did i get here but this series of songwriter in the rounds she has picked up from uh, a great songwriter here in town named Matt the Electrician, who just so happens to be my guest today. That is his show. He's been doing uh, a Wednesday a month, I think, at the O4 Center, and now he's splitting it this year with uh, with Susanna Chauffel. But Matt the Electrician is my guest on the show. He's back on the show. I think this is his third or fourth time on the show. Unfortunately, when I went to go do this podcast with him, the day of the show, I was not feeling good. And I don't think that people should get together when someone's feeling like they have a cold, a runny nose, and everything. So we ended up doing it over Zoom just so we could get it done because Matt has a brand new record coming out this Friday, February 2nd. It's called The Ocean Knocked Me Down. It will be available on all streaming services also on CD and vinyl. And he is celebrating with a record release show this Saturday, February 3rd at the O4 Center. That's right. The same place I'm playing on next Wednesday. Anyway, that's taking place this Saturday, February 3rd at the O4 Center. That's his release show and his record, The Ocean Knocked Me Down, comes out this Friday, February 2nd. Uh, I love Matt the Electrician and this record, The Ocean Knocked Me Down, is absolutely fantastic. There's one single available right now called Human Echo 
which I will play on the show. But go check that out. He's also been putting out a lot of music. Matt, Matt's an incredibly prolific songwriter. He's an incredibly prolific uh, uh a recording artist. He puts out a lot of records. He puts out singles. He puts out EPs. And he's been coming on the show for years and talking about all that. One thing we didn't talk about was last year, he put out this uh, this double single of Do You Believe in Love and Walking on a Thin Line. These really interesting uh, acoustic sort of almost bluegrass covers of uh, Huey Lewis songs. And uh, I didn't, I forgot, totally forgot to bring that up. Uh, mostly I forgot to bring it up because I was on Dayquil. That's another thing about this conversation. I was on Dayquil, so I do get confused a little bit, but it's a great conversation. I love talking to Matt. He's such an interesting cat. And uh, one of the things that I was talking to him about was uh, he's one of the people that I've gotten to see his his career sort of unfold and his artistry unfold and watch him become the Matt, the electrician he is today. In essence, I've seen how he got here. But we also got to talk about that a bit, uh, which we have through the years. Anyway, look, sorry. Matt, the electrician, is a fantastic artist, and I love that dude. He's such a nice guy, such a great songwriter, and, uh, and, and just such an incredible performer. And this record, uh, The Ocean Knocked Me Down, it's, it's again a testament of, of if you keep at it, for many years and stay interested and locked into being a creative person. You will continue to outdo yourself as you record. This record was produced by my dear old friend, Mark Addison. They made this record together. This is a, this is a, they've made quite a few records together, but, uh, but it's fantastic. And they did everything on the record. They might've had a drummer come in for a couple of songs, maybe John green here and there, but otherwise the ocean knocked me down is the product of uh, Mark Addison and Matt, the electrician. You can also go to Matt's Patreon, sign up, He's, uh, as I said, a very prolific person. I'm sure if you sign up on there, you'll get a lot of great things. So find him at MattTheElectrician.com. The Ocean Knocked Me Down. The record comes out February 2nd. And Saturday, this Saturday in Austin, he'll be for, Saturday, February 3rd, sorry. He will be having a record release show at the O4 Center. Go to MattTheElectrician.com for all your Matt the Electrician needs. And please, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with my dear friend, the great Matt the Electrician. Let's get down. I know I've seen you somewhere since, but I feel like the last time I... Oh, I know when I saw you. Was that the thing for uh, uh, Joanna? The show? Yeah. I saw you down there. It's yeah. great to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this record, The Ocean Knocked Me Down, is gorgeous, man. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. It, it's, uh, it's interesting when you've... Because uh, like at this point, there's so many people... And you're you're one of them. Like I've I've watched and listened to your whole thing. <laughs> There's so many people, and you're one of them. I just got to write that down for my. Uh, I'm collecting quotes. I Please think that's do. A good one. That's a, put that on the album. That's a great. There's so many people. You're one of them. <laughs> no, that I've had the fortune to see. You know, their career unfold. You know what I mean? Right. 
Yeah. And totally. Um, and like uh, when I was listening to the record this morning, I was thinking to myself, um, "There's you're you're a masterful songwriter, but there's this style of songwriting that you have uh, developed that can contain so much inside the song. Like there's depth, there can be a heavy message, but there's like a playfulness too, uh, and a sense of humor." in you that comes through almost all of them. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's almost like you're like a really intellectual Shel Silverstein to me. <laughs> I mean, that, well, that, that's, that's very, that's very nice of you to say. I think Shell Shell was probably more intellectual than I, but maybe didn't put it into his poetry. No, the stuff, yeah, all I really know is the Dr. Hook stuff and where the sidewalk ends and the light in the attic. And, of course, the giving tree. Yeah, yeah. the giving tree. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever get his, um, the, there was a book of his called The ABZs? No. It's on the front, I think it says The ABZs Not for Children. And it's a very <laughs> dark adult kids book about the alphabet. And it's, it's one of the more disturbing I literally thought it was maybe on the bookcase yeah. behind me, but it's not. Um, but it's it's a wonderful book if you ever come across it. The Uncle Uncle Shell's uh, ABZs. Yeah, <clears throat> I will look for it. The ABZs, Uncle Shell's ABZs. <clears throat> yeah. uh, so, man, another thing is like watching this career unfold and all that stuff. How have you managed to stay engaged and inspired and continue? You know what I mean? Like that's one of the things, the longevity and the commitment to yourself that you've made into your music. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of short-term memory. So I think, uh, I think that, you know, kind of probably just intense levels of drug use uh, in my teens and twenties has kept me from being able to like look back on anything uh, with any clarity. Really? And so I just, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know, maybe I can't remember. Dude, I'm um, on Dayquil. You can't mess with me like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, you know, seriously, uh, I do think any of us doing this weird job, that are able to keep going. I think, I think we're in an era where it's, where it's okay, if not encouraged to kind of admit your, you know, your privilege, but also just the luck that plays into so much of, of what we do. But I've been lucky and privileged to um, kind of be in right places at right times and, and, you know, alive during a point when I think independent musicians were able to make more money than they ever have before and probably ever will again, Correct. which you were there, you were there too in the yeah. magical 1990s where, where the music industry had set up, they had normalized this idea that you could take a thing that, that cost a dollar to make, or in their case, pennies to make, and then charge $15 for it, which is a ridiculous markup. Um, but we were able to kind of profit off of that being able, because it was normalized. People paid $15 for, for a compact disc. And, and, uh, the idea that we could drive around the country, you know, with a dollar 50 gas and 
and sell these these things with like a thousand percent markup to to yeah. people. And you didn't, I, so many years, I didn't have to have more than 40 people in a room to be making a really good living. Yeah. You know, and that was a, that was a very narrow period of time before that, as you, you were also there for that. And I was also there for that independent musicians couldn't really, you know, break in and, and travel as easily. No. Um, because the cost of making vinyl when vinyl was thing was pretty prohibitive and you were kind of kept out of that industry. You couldn't really get in cassette tapes, you know, they were definitely cheap and it was something you could do, but I feel like the price point on cassette tapes and what they cost to make was a little closer together. And so the compact disc really was, I don't think it gets said enough how lucky we, those of us that lived in that time frame. Yeah. I just don't think you have an Ani DeFranco or people like that if you if they didn't exist in the time of compact discs. Right, right. That's true because there's even people like even uh, not as well known, but somebody like Mary Gaucher and stuff like that did have the privilege. Yeah, of that. Um, or maybe she didn't. Right? Didn't she start kind of late? Um, no, you know? she was around. I mean, she she I definitely met Cross her out on the road. Her and open shows for her back in those days. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, I think, I think a combination of, of being able to do it at a time like that and make money. And so you just assumed, well, this, maybe not, this will always be the case, but like, I'll always be able to figure something out. And I think that gives you a certain amount of confidence. So even when, even when sales waned for CDs, you just kind of pivoted and you figured out different things. And, um, you know, that's for me, that's, that's what keeps it going is in terms of the financial part. And then the creative part, um, you know, I think I would stop if I ever wasn't kind of interested in playing with words and playing with music. Yeah. It's interesting how long, like sometimes I am shocked, like I'll realize my age and how long I've been doing this and how I still get really excited doing it. And it's so weird. You're like, wow, this is so odd. Like I'm still so into this. Like I still get goosebumps. I still cry. You know, I laugh. I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Even seeing someone like, uh, I'm in a band that has your old slot now. As of last night, uh, playing before Bob. Yeah. (laughs) I was concerned. To me, that's still your slot, and people are just Mm. getting it. (laughs) It is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, the thing, the the funny thing about that is that when, you know, back in the whatever, back in the old days, somewhere in 2002 or 2003 that slot was was a different person every week and um yeah and we had done it we had done it once maybe twice i think we were booked to do it twice and there's a lot more it's a very long story and it's and it's it's but basically i ended up i ended up getting in trouble kind of and i got into it with david cotton uh and all as all of this was going on and i was thinking that like I had shot myself in the foot because I just did something stupid or said something to the wrong person and cotton had 
had suggested that he was going to not only pull me off the other Bob gig, but like never book me. I would never play in Austin again. <laughs> again I'll never work in this town that. again. <laughs> totally. And one of like that same week, Bob, who, who traditionally historically never shows up early to that gig. Like he shows up five minutes before he walks on stage. Yeah. Uh, he popped in early accidentally and caught the last song that I did and literally turned to Dave, David Cotton or whoever was at the door and said, I just want that guy. Like stop booking other bands. I just want like <laughs> that guy, that guy's got the gig. <laughs> Super random. I did not know him at the time. Um, like I said, he never, to this day, he never shows up early. No. Um, and does not like watching openers, uh, at all. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but, but anyway, so I, the luck of that, of just, you know, and so David had to kind of come back to me and apologize and which was just chef's kiss. That's amazing. um, It really was. It really, (laughs) I love those stories. We we had a fine relationship after that for many, many years, but, um, but yeah, so we did that gig for nine years, nine years. Insane. And I think we, at some point I was like, maybe we shouldn't do this gig anymore. And we like switched, we quit it for a while and went and did a residency at Momo's. Maybe opening for the band of heathens on Wednesdays or something. I don't remember, but it never really, it just wasn't really the same thing. It wasn't really our vibe. And, and so we ended up just going back and doing Bob's thing for another two or three years. Um, Right. What's funny. It's great. I mean, I feel like sometimes we forget that, we're servicing an audience, you know, and that, that, that probably if it was nine years, there was tons of people that their thing on Monday, you know, living this life and like a hamster wheel thing, like the thing that they lived for was that four hours of like getting to see you and getting to see Bob and having some cocktails and being taken out of their thing. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were, we were lucky to, to become part of the fabric of that night. Like we were not the headliner. We were not the reason people showed up, but there were the diehards that showed up every week that knew who we, you know, I gained pretty much all of my Austin fan base through opening for Bob. You know, I mean, there were, there were a few other things that kind of helped me along, but, but I owe so much of that to being able to do that. Now, the flip side to that is, you know, we were young and hungry and we agreed to play a show where there was no, you got no piece of the cover. And, and after people had paid a 10, 15, $20 cover, you had to like ply them for tips, yeah, yeah, yeah. which, <laughs> which I, I will say again, I think we were suited to that in the, in the moment because it felt yucky but we just turned it into a joke. We turned it into a game. And every week we would tell some new extravagant lie about why we weren't getting money from the door. And it was all just kind of made up on the spot, you know, just BS from the stage kind of about, Oh, we lost this bet with Bob. And, and then he, he took control over our boat and now we have to clean what is now his boat. (laughs) And anyway, all of that is to say, I know that you all just paid 20. I know you all paid just $20 to get in here. We don't see any of that money. So can you please help us out? Um, and, and that was one of the nicer, cleaner versions of that story. But we, we would, we, every week we would just come up with something different and 
we ended up making really, really decent money for what it was, which I think for the whole band, we just kind of considered it a, a practice. Yeah. I think uh, you have developed that level of cleverness because even in your Patreon thing, like the uh, each level has a funny, not funny, but like an interesting, like electric, like a, a apprentice electrician and then like master electric, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you found a way to to uh, like kind of make someone laugh and give you some money, <laughs> as opposed to like bullying them or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I'm I'm kind of small. I've always had small arms. I can't I can't successfully bully anybody. So uh, you know, I try to emotionally yeah. and verbally, and verbally <laughs> but that that only works on like your kids. Um, <laughs> So when it comes to the physical stuff, you really got to, you got to hope that you have a sense of humor. How old are your kids now? They are 23 and 19. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're both off in college. Wow. Yeah. You guys are empty nesters. We are. We are empty nesters. That's interesting, man. How does, uh, okay. So let's go back to this movie really fast. I heard this music really fast. This album. Uh, the ocean knocked me down. Who, where did you do it? Like, who did you record it with? Who played on it? Um, I recorded with Mark Addison, uh, out at the airy, the airy studio. And, uh, Mark and I, I want to say this was like the sixth record we made together, fifth or sixth. Um, but it had been a couple of years, uh, where I made some records with different other people. I remember and, when uh, you did that cool series, those uh, collaboration EP vinyls. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, that was super fun. Um, um, Mark and I did those together as oh, really? well. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Who else? Um, so, so Mark and I made the record, this record together, and there was a, it wasn't the first the second record he and I made together, maybe the third was called animal boy. It came out in like 2008 or nine. And the way that we kind of approached that record at the time was that, uh, I had, I didn't have a lot of money at the time, but I, but I, and I only had like two songs towards a record. And so, and I said, Hey, is there any way I can like come in for like a day or two? Like, I don't, I can't book a whole, stretch of time. And he said, yeah, that's fine. And he had a lot of projects then. And, and so he would kind of slip me in, in between these spots where other people were making full records. So he'd call me up and go, I've got two days, come on out. And so I'd go out, I would sit down, record one song, sometimes to a click, sometimes not. And just me and the guitar or me and the ukulele. And then he and I would sit in the control room and go, well, okay, what is this? What does this need? And he would go, maybe drums. And I go, yeah, who wants to play the drums? Okay. I'll play the drums today. So I'll go out and put down drums. And then we do the same with all, you know, bass guitar. And we would just build this, like these layers. And then sometimes, you know, Oh, my drum pass was terrible. And so Mark would go in and play drums. And every once in a while we go, we're neither of us are drummers. We got to call John green or, you know, whatever. Right. Right. But by and large, we built this whole record song by song kind of building these levels and then going in and taking out pieces. So we'd have a, an entire guitar pass, but it, 
But at the end of the day, we might take out 90% of the guitar and just leave in this one little hook somewhere. Um, so it was that, that process of, of elimination recording technique, I guess. Um, but also he and I played 90% of the instruments. And so this, this new record was kind of going back to that, uh, way of, of making records. And so he and I played most of the, the instruments on the record and every once in a while I'd call in, I had Sila come in and, uh, Stephanie Macias came in. So I had some background singing and I, I had Carrie, Carrie Rodriguez and Luke Jacobs, um, came in and did some violin and pedal steel. And I think I had Oliver Steck plays accordion on a couple of tunes. John Green plays drums on one tune. Um, but otherwise, you know, 90% of the stuff on there is just me and Mark. Yeah. It's, uh, he's really fun to work with like that. We, we, yeah. uh, we did that a couple of times and, uh, there was one song that we like wrote and then like just me and him, like Nina wasn't there. So I played drums. It was like, it's so exciting yeah. and just yeah. so, uh, he's really fun to work with. Like he's inspiring. He gets so excited and you can see like, you know what I mean? You really, you know, you're getting to him, you know, and the stuff's got like, he he's gets involved and he yeah. wants to work on something so badly that he'll slip you in, in between other things when really he could probably take a nap if he wanted to, but he's just so sure. inspired and so excited to. Yeah. Well, and there, you know, there, there are so many times like working with Mark and I worked with a handful of other people before Mark and I've worked with some people in the last couple of years and a lot of great experiences, but what I loved about Mark is, and just the way he and I work together is that there, there are kind of no bad idea, just everything that pops up, he would go, well, I think I want to put bazooki on this. And you That's go, so funny all right. You say that. <laughs> One of those songs that we did is just loaded with fucking bazooki. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what I, but my favorite part about him is that he will go, we, neither of us would say no to the other's ideas. You go, sure, try that. And then he does a whole pass of bazooki, maybe takes three or four different passes, comps it all together. We listen to it and he, and I go, I'm not feeling it. And he goes, okay, yeah. <laughs> delete, <laughs> you know, go to the next thing. And it, it's just a really fun creative process for me. Um, that, and I think he and I just have similar sensibilities and things that we are generally drawn to. So more often than not, we agree on the thing. Um, and then every once in a while when we don't, there's just kind of no harm, no foul. You yeah. Know, yeah. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've always had a great, great time working with him. I feel like this stuff that, that I feel like the stuff that he does is great. I just, I just had Guy Forsyth on here and they just did a record together. <laughs> Amazing yeah. record. I feel like it's Guy's best record for sure. Oh, that's great. Too. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and this record, it's funny because I, uh, one of the things that I had noticed when I was listening to it was how it was orchestrated, but sparsely. And so you talking yeah. about like taking stuff out makes a lot of sense now. At one point there yeah. was a, a wall of sound, but you, <laughs> you made it into <laughs> yeah, a hurricane with a, fence. With a lot of the stuff that, it, yeah, it's kind of like you want to hear it. You want to hear all the things and then go, what doesn't this need? Yeah. Um, which to me, it, it is easier for me to listen to that and make choices than it is to listen to just me and the guitar and go, well, what does this need? Right. I, I have a tough time. 
historically I've, I've had a tough time in the studio or even recording my own things at home with being overwhelmed by the, all the choices. Yeah. I've often thought like it must be so comforting to be in like a bluegrass band or something <laughs> because, because you're just like this, these are the instruments we're going to use. Like there's no chance a bazooki is going on this. There's no chance that right. a Salvation Army uh, right. horn band is yeah. going to, is going to suddenly make an appearance. It's just the fiddle solos and then the banjo solos and then the mandolin solos. And then you go back to the head and, and for, for whatever brand of, pop music, folk music, whatever that I do, my head is always filled with the, like, you know, what we were all raised on, whether it was pet sounds or Sergeant peppers or whatever, where you go, the kitchen sink is available. If you, if you want to do that. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people will say that the, the best recording is when you, when you realize that you don't have to put all those things in there, but but I think what we're going for is what you, is what you said is, is I want this sense that, some, that with these tunes, that there's some sort of orchestration to it, but I want it to feel small in a way. Yeah. And I guess in some ways you kind of, it, it be, it behooves you in a professional sense to not, uh, present yourself as like a solo person or, or as someone playing with two other people and then deliver this uh, Pet Sounds album. You know what I mean? We're, you know what I mean? <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, exper- I've Although- experienced that stuff before. Like I've, 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 I, there are people that have said like, I like it when it's just you, not all the fucking <clears throat> feedback guitars. And You sure. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think those, there's always going to be, those people that whatever you've done, they want the opposite. <laughs> and, and over the years, you know, and I feel the same way. Like there are records that I wish were, you know, I love, um, I'm a huge Paul Simon fan and I love all of his records, but there are some versions of songs where once they went to CD or streaming or whatever, and they added like demos of things, you go, Oh, well, I'm, I could listen to Paul Simon by himself with his guitar all day long. Oh yeah. I don't need all the other stuff, but that's just as a fan. And, and I think as a performer, like you want to, to do different things and create all sorts of landscapes and soundscapes for your music. But then also I am primarily these days playing by myself. Right. Um, and, and I have no problem with that juxtaposition with, you know, I, some people will come up to you and go, you know, on the record, there was a horn section. And you're like, sure, yeah, that's a record. Yeah. This is, this is, this is me live now. It's pretty much by myself, occasionally one other person. And I think those two things can, can, and maybe should exist as two separate experiences. Yeah. Have you heard that new Paul Simon album? Is it the... I heard like the, there's like a really long song that's like a prayer. Is that the one? The four Psalms or whatever? Eight Psalms? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, I heard it. It's good. It's interesting. It's, it, it was interesting. Yeah, it, 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 um, I feel like there's a, um, there's some, uh, almost a type now, like similarities between kind of the, the just pre-death Leonard Cohen album and the pre-post-death David Bowie album, right. and where it, 
it's, it's, I mean, it's, it is beautiful, but, but there's this kind of like kind of calm meditative sense that these guys are putting out into the world saying like, well, we know we're not long for this world. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is feeling closer to death. These are the rhythms and the sounds that we're hearing, which, which all kind of have a similar chanty, yeah, like monks chanting sort of vibe yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. With that Bowie one, it was so weird because <laughs> he had never really been like a personal songwriter, you know? Like you didn't know what Bowie was going through when you were listening to his records, you know, as a person. Yeah. yeah. But you did on that yeah. fucking record, man. Like you knew from the opening line, like, yeah. look at me up in heaven. You're like, oh my God, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Plus also as an artist, like I was like, I mean, I was so sad. Like he's one of my, like, I think he's like probably the best guy that rock has had or, you know, pop music has had like as far as depth sure. and, and being able to challenge himself and his audience and just be fucking cool all the time. And yeah. uh, just the, the idea that, that he chose that final statement to be so personal was just like, <laughs> you're like, man, you did it. Like you lived your life as an artist and you, you yeah. documented going away. Like you, you, yeah, you wrapped it up. You wrapped it all up. <laughs> yeah. You, you did. You did your final photo shoot and the next day you died. Or a couple of days yeah. later, you died. Like, you did it. Like, you yeah. accomplished the artist's life. <laughs> it was interesting that both he and Leonard Cohen, you know, within like whatever it was, a year or two of each other, managed to kind of, which I think, you know, I guess the silver lining to disease is is that you know the end is coming. Right. As I think it would be hard to, you know, I might... I might try to document my life right before I get hit by a bus or so. Like, I don't, I don't know how you <laughs> No, Yeah. They, they, they had the luxury of, of seeing it coming. Right. <laughs> as artists, not as like, human beings, but they, as artists, I gotta, they... <laughs> I gotta make a, I gotta make a new record because I feel a heart attack coming on <laughs> later this afternoon. So much pressure. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I felt like those were two beautiful, records because yeah it was people you know another one who who kind of did that though although i i don't know enough about his catalog so i'm sure i don't think he made a record but but seeing the interviews with um uh oh my brain forgets words all the time now um the great singer songwriter werewolf of london oh uh, yeah 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 oh god uh that song i know you're warren zevon Warren Zevon. Well, and, and he's another one. He knew he was dying and, yeah. and seeing him on like David Letterman and stuff. Jesus and, Christ. Yeah. And you go, man, I just, I, I hope that I can be that centered and grounded and self-aware, you know, as, as you grow older. Yeah. Yeah. And also just also like <clears throat> back to what I was saying at the beginning is like, you know, going through this, um, Going through this life, people make choices as they go along and don't really dig deeper and stay engaged and keep on making music that challenges them. But we, I feel like I'm lucky to be around a lot of guys. I mean, I just seeing, you know, Bob's like first half of his set last night, just like, like that guy's better than he was 
when people were falling all over themselves to get into that. You know what I mean? Like you're oh, yeah, the totally. same way. Alejandro's the same way. And that's the kind of like you always looking at, at your at your bros and being like, okay, I got to stay at John D. Graham's another one that's like that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Beck is another guy that might have made it his best record. That last one's been fucking amazing. Yeah. No, it's great. I, I often wonder, and, and this is not to cast shade in the opposite direction, but rather I think people are just wired differently. But, um, you know, the, the, the ism kind of in the music business, but also in the entertainment business you know, business right, right. writ large, this idea of, of kind of embracing the youth, but then also ascribing to some youth, the wisdom of elder, you know, they do that thing where there's a young songwriter and they go wise beyond their years. And I remember at the time it kind of annoyed me and I had friends who were very good at music who got that, those kind of accolades at the time. And I think as I get older and I look back on some of that, stuff it also feels like kind of disingenuous this like why when i was 22 years old the expectation that i should have some understanding about the world is pretty (laughs) erroneous if not like uh uh, dangerous yeah yeah exactly (laughs) it's it's just not it's not real and and I, I, I like that idea of, of being surrounded by people who maybe I loved what they did when we were all t- in our 20s or all in our 30s, but now in our 50s or our 60s, I'm hearing their songs and like, oh man, they're, like you say, they're, they're getting better. Like they're yeah. not, it, it's not that they're doing the same thing, but also that's a net, that should be a natural trajectory. Yeah, I shouldn't be so surprised that that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but I also think there is that there is the other piece of that, which is the listener. And I do think about this a lot, which is I I am as a 50 something year old man, I'm probably going to identify now more with the stories from Chris Smithers or John D. Graham than I am with Olivia Rodrigo, which doesn't mean I can't appreciate pop music. I think you and I both are fans of pop music and, and we love all sorts of kinds of music, but the I know story exactly what you mean, yeah, right. The lyrical content in a, in an Olivia Rodrigo song is not for me. No. It's not supposed to, it shouldn't be necessarily critiqued by me because it's not directed at me. Right. And it doesn't mean that I'm not invited to the party and I can't enjoy it if I want to, but if I don't enjoy it, that actually makes more sense and and doesn't need to be like a conversation or or an argument (laughs) in the world. It's just simply that there are things, if you're listening to leave the light on by Chris Smithers, one of my favorite aging songs of all time, um, the older you get, the more it speaks to you. You know, I heard it in my thirties and I was like, Ooh, that's a pretty cool song. And then in my forties, I was like, Ooh, that's a really cool song. And now in my fifties, I'm like, I am in that song. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's isn't that a weird thing? Totally. And you, you have markers. Like, I don't, I don't have a marker. Like I walk around still, like it, I walk by a mirror and I'm like, I'm fucking get shocked. I'm like, what? I still think I'm the, like the kid that was like walking <laughs> around 40 pounds lighter and like dark hair and like no wrinkles and, you know, smoking and doing drugs, having a great time. Uh, yeah. But now I got, I, there's a marker though. When you have kids, like you see, 
your kids are they they were born they were in the house then they started school and they were gone for the days and then now they've moved on to the next phase yeah yeah it's wild yeah it is very wild but it feels good though doesn't it i mean in some ways it does not have to to not have kids in the house (laughs) totally feels great (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, to, to, uh, to just have that uh, the luxury of feeling okay with who you are that only really comes with age yeah yeah I I mean I only hope that th- these kinds of things get excuse me I'm you know old man reflex um, <laughs> I uh I only hope these kinds of changes actually get more pronounced or at least more pronounced in the, in, in my ability to kind of embrace them. But I, I I have a visceral memory of being 20 something. And I was, it was post post college pre moving to Austin. Um, and I was living at, I, I did the requisite year at home with my parents, you know, move back, move back into the house. And my dad, is a contractor, master carpenter. And so part of the, the, you know, the ostensibly I was going there to, to work for him and help him out cause he needed some help or maybe I needed help. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but so I worked with him for a year. It was great. It, and it, it, it was my first kind of construction work and prefaced me coming to Austin and then working as an electrician for a long time and, and learning a lot about the trades and, just very grateful for that time in my life, getting to learn a lot of that stuff. Um, but so that year with my dad, there was, we, there was one day he was a local contractor in town in the town in Oregon where they, where he lives. And, uh, so we were out in front of the house and some, some guy pulled up in a pickup, nice shiny pickup truck. My dad had an old beat up van and the guy had a nice shiny pickup truck and he was, probably in his thirties. And I think my dad was in his fifties at that point, probably. And, uh, this guy who kind of knew my dad, he stopped by to ask my dad some questions and, and he was very kind of young and arrogant and he had his clipboard and, and, uh, uh, I, I don't remember all of the conversation. I just remembered that my dad felt a little put out by kind of giving this kid free advice. <laughs> and then the guy, the guy, the guy drives off and, and I think in my brain, part of me was waiting for like the rant from my dad about like a uh, young punk, yeah, this, yeah. that, or the other. And as this car's, yeah, I've, I've, I've created the memory as more cinematic in my head, but as the truck is like driving into the setting sun, uh, down the, down the street, my dad just kind of sighs and he goes, you know, the older I get, the less I feel like I know. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, and it's a thing we hear often yeah. and it's, but I think the older you get, the more true it because you like, you actually realize it, you know, I mean, I do, I do my fair share of yelling at the clouds and telling people to literally or figuratively get off my lawn. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's, but it also, it, it, you hit like a, a, um, you hit a point of, there's a phrase that people use here that normally I could remember if I wasn't so old that um, like mass something, but you hit a point of 
where like in Austin these days, I felt like from one day to the next, I, I felt like I knew everybody in the music scene yeah. and things were pretty, and I was feeling pretty, I felt good and comfortable about my place in it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is all good. And then I feel like one day passed and I woke up and I was like, I don't know who anybody is. I feel like I'm forgotten, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of that. Yeah. And, and I think that's like, it's part of, part of getting older is also this humbling that takes place. Yeah. Ideally, ideally, maybe it doesn't in all people always, but I think ideally kind of remembering that we're all just here making shit up, trying to make shit up for a living. Yeah. You know? And, and when you're not, you know, there's, there is something about new and shiny <laughs> that everybody likes. Everybody yeah. likes to get excited about something new. And the further you get away from new, there is like, there's an acceptance you have. There's, it's funny because there's like different stages of it. It's almost like the stages of grief. Like at first you're fighting it and then you're mad yeah. at everyone for it. And then you feel like yeah. victimized. <laughs> Everyone's doing well to make you feel horrible about yourself. You know what I mean? And then you come to peace with totally. it and you, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see this guy. You know, that 10 years ago I would have, you know, I would have never gone to see because he was such a threat to my thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to my existence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It is, that is and, a great uh, feeling. I'm, I'm really, I feel like, uh, I feel like I, I was around enough older musicians <laughs> as a young guy that I, I could see the people that stayed engaged. They weren't threatened. They didn't tell you everything was stupid and it was way better when that guy was doing stuff, not now when this guy, other guy's doing stuff, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And I really, yeah. I really took note. And there was a point in my 40s where I, I, my impulse was to say those things. I could feel it. And then yeah. luckily through this podcast and then like working with the Austin Music Foundation when I did for like seven years, like it was really... you realize that that new stuff comes in and then our job yeah. is to make sure that, that it's okay. And that yeah. we got to help these other guys get old. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's, I, I'm so appreciative of, to me, Austin is maybe less so these days, but, but definitely 10 or 20 years ago was such an anomaly in that the, the music scene was so much more of a community than a scene. Yeah. And, and I say that because I, you know, 20 years ago, I knew lots of people that lived in LA and New York and Nashville and those, and they would, they would say to me, this doesn't exist where we are. Mm -hmm. I think it's different now. I think there's more of a community in Nashville. I think there's more of a community in LA than there used to be. But, but what was always so wonderful about Austin was that I never felt, I mean, I say that there's probably a few times, but generally I never felt kind of threatened or envious of local people where that usually came in for me was kind of more on a national level. Once you hit kind of a certain point in your touring where you thought, Oh, this person got that gig in Boston and you know, why did they get that? But I, but I rarely felt that about people in Austin because it felt to me like, well, this is the home team. Right. Like I just remember, I remember going to that first day of ham signups on the East side and like sitting in some little house and it was like Jason McMaster and yeah. Kevin Russell. And I'm just looking around. I was like, there's like an, 
accordion Tejano player and like a, yeah. a, a metal dude. And we all know who each other are, even yeah, if yeah. we haven't hung out. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody by their face and by their name. Yeah. And everybody's just friends. Like nobody's upset. I mean, I say that, you know, it's a, a memory I'm sure has gotten rid of, you know, the great, um, the great, Danny Malone, Casey Crowley, street brawl of 2004. <laughs> 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 That's what we should have. We should institute cage matches though. We should. For those that are... Man, you know, who's great at references like that? David Garza. Like sometimes you'll be oh, yeah. talking and he'll be like, dude, <laughs> that show last night, it was like, Fucking like javelin boot at the hole in the wall in 92. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're just like, oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> javelin boot. The great Danny Malone, Casey Crowley brawl. Yeah. Um, well, man, uh, you you have a big show coming up at the 04 Center. Your record release show is going to be Saturday, February 3rd, the day after the record comes out. And the record also, yeah. I've got to say, comes out on CD and vinyl. So you still are selling a thing. Yes. Yes. I have the CDs. I've got the vinyls um, may or may not show up, you know, anytime soon. I have no idea. I have no control over that, but, but the compact disc is, will be out in the world. And I pulled my Patreon people six months ago. Cause I really, I was starting to get to the point where I thought I don't want to press a CD. I don't want to make a vinyl vinyls expensive. Takes so so long. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, if people want it, I'll do it. Cause it's not like I lose money. Uh, usually it's just that you're not really making money either. And it, and it's such a process. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me last year as I was traveling around was I thought this whole more often than not, this exchange was happening where people would come to the merch booth and they'd go, Oh, well, I already have all, all of these things. And like, um, and I had, I don't know your new record, but I don't have a record player and my new car doesn't have a CD player. And so we'd have this, like they would talk this out amongst themselves and then go, well, I just want to give you some money. So here, give me the CD. (laughs) And then, and you go, okay, so I'm giving you garbage. You're going to pay me anyway for this garbage. Why am I making this garbage? Like why, why am I doing it creatively business wise? And also just for the planet, like, why am I, why am I part of a problem making this garbage? Right. And so I had, I had actually come up with a, uh, an idea where my shows would be at, the merch table would be like a garage sale. So I'd have a bunch of stuff from my house and it would all be $15 in <laughs> this way. And like, you know, I have like a, I have a junk drawer, like a treasure drawer that's next to me. And like, here I have my, I have my Lucasfilm, Lucasfilm, uh, 4th of July picnic, third place in the obstacle course, children's obstacle course, like $15. There you go. Look, my wife made me this necklace with a, with a, the pelvic bone of a raccoon and $15. You can have that for $15. And, and I presented this to my patrons and they were kind of like, nah, uh, we'll take the CDs. They, they mostly wanted the CDs and the records. And I said, well, tell you what, I'll still do. So I'm doing very short runs of both of those. And whether anybody likes it or not, I am still going to package up for each of my tours next year, a, bo- a you know, a shoe box full of Home weird 
matte items. Because I, I mean, some, some the people that were into this idea were very into it because I think just that idea of, of owning something, it's, it, 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 is it still garbage? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all garbage. Like all we do is as humans, as we create garbage, but, but at least it's garbage, you know, not unlike going to a thrift store, it's garbage that's already been made, then used by someone, then passed along. And I feel like the more we can do that as a society anyway, the better. Yeah. We're recycling instead of making garbage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, this show, you, you, you just played the Mm -hmm. O4 center with like Kelly Willis and, uh, and Bob Schneider, didn't you? Mm-hmm. A couple months ago. Yeah, I do. That last year, the whole year, I did a monthly. That's right. Um, That's right. Residency it was first Wednesday of every month. Um, it was me and three other songwriters, so Matt, Matt, and friends, kind of a deal, and we would do song swaps. And um, I'm going to continue doing that this year, but I'm splitting it with Susanna Chaffel. I am. I am a um, guest on her first thing. I happen to know that because Susanna and I sat down and we had a great meeting and we made this master list of all the songwriters we could think of in Austin. And then we, we we totally did. And, and you were on that list. And it was funny that there were so many of the musicians that both Susanna and I know, but at a certain point for us to be able to book these nights, we had to like put little either an S or an M next to the name. Right it was kind of like a draft. We were like drafting (laughs) for like, for, you know, for sports. And, uh, so I'd be like, well, you know, can I, can I get Kalu James? And she'd go, okay, but I need Johnny Gowdy and a first, you know, and, and two prospects or something. And, uh, yeah, so she ended up getting you cause she goes, I want to get him right away. And I go, well, I, I love Johnny. I'd love to have him on too, but you know, well, thank you. That's a, that's a, I lost you in the draft. I understand, man. Just being, the, just being, just being drafted is a good feeling. Um, it is. Uh, it's interesting that lineup that 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 is going on. It's like Brian Keane, mm. right? No, no, no. It's like Rachel Loy. Uh, oh, Michael Kincaid mm, and me okay. and Susanna, and it seems like uh, it seems like a lineup at Momo's. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, yeah. oh, that's so cool. Like 2008 or something. Yeah. I, I mean, I love, that was one of my favorite things I did last year was, was that residency, um, getting to curate it and, and, but just getting to play it. Like every, every one of those that I did was like a little microcosm of some era of Austin for me. Um, and it felt that way to me and a lot of the people involved would, you know, they would say, yeah, sure. I'll do that. And maybe not be seem super excited about it, but like, whatever, I'll do the show. And then they would show up and every single show I had pretty much everyone that did it afterwards, just so jazzed, like, so kind of high on the, uh, spending an evening just on stage with friends yeah, chatting and yeah. playing songs, and, you know, and I know that you, you have in the past and, I certainly did, but like that tradition, which is certainly not um, specific to Austin, but but that tradition in Austin was yeah. just kind of always around. When I first got here, it was it was, it was like that's what you, I remember going to Stubbs in indoors and seeing 
Beaver and Scrappy and Mike Nikolai, maybe somebody else. And it was like, and it was like a Friday happy hour residency. And I thought, man, this town is so cool. Like what, what, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. I remember doing the first time that I ever did one of my own was it was like a, a series. I can't remember if it was weekly or biweekly or something, but it was at uh it was at Flipnotics and it will those were some of the best times I I mean look that this band that we started playing uh is like Kimmy Rhodes, Gabriel Rhodes, uh Sean Pander, oh, yeah. Harmony Kelly, Gabe's son Louie uh, who yeah. I've known since he was a little kid and now he's playing keyboards in the band of John Chipman. And it, that's what that's, it's, it's, it's almost like you're just high from the, like making that beautiful music to, you know, like being in yeah. that thing together and everybody playing along it. Yeah. It's a beautiful tradition and I'm glad that you're doing it. Yeah. It's uh, the, the last one I did at the end of the year or the second to last one was the, uh, Kelly Willis and Bob Schneider and Grace Park. I love and Grace too, by the way. Great, yeah, Grace is fantastic. And when I asked, uh, you know, Grace and Kelly were all in. When I asked Bob, he goes, "I'll do it." He goes, "But I hate in the rounds. I hate them. I don't like. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to." He goes, "It's it's just it's you know like you're everybody wants to win. You just you got to win." And I go, "You don't have to win. You can just hang out, Bob." And he goes, "Look." Kelly's going to want to win, which means I got to win. And I was like, cool, man. Um, but sure enough, like not only he showed up, the show went great. And then afterwards, and I think he even emailed me like, like a couple weeks later and was like, man, that was just like, that was so cool. Yeah. You know? And I think just for uh, that reminder again about community that like, that's what, to me, that's what's always seemed like the linchpin of this. Like if this town stays afloat through all of the changes and all of the money and everything else, it's, it's going to be because of that, because the fact that there's a community and a community that's willing to invent and run things like the Austin music foundation or the house of songs or, you know, things like that, where, or ham or Sims, where it's community focused. It's not, it's never been business focused. It's always been, community focused yeah yeah well i'm glad to be in this community with you yeah likewise yeah i've always liked you i think you're a great talent and such a great hang you're a great thanks man i i feel i feel the same way well good man um this album is called oh uh i i don't want to forget this i could email you but i'll just say it will you email me the song that you want me to play on the show oh sure okay and it'll come out the week before the at the week of the record coming out like earlier in the week so okay um but uh thank you so much for doing the show like and thanks for being you i think this is like the third or fourth time you've been on the show right that sounds that sounds uh possible (laughs) it's weird man like i've got all these documents of all of our my conversations with all of our friends yeah I know you've amassed, you've amassed quite a collection. It's, it's weird. It like now, sometimes it freaks me. Like sometimes when I see the number, I'm like, who are all these people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did they come to my house? But it was, it's been, it's been so long now that it's like one of the things I've done. The, it's the second thing I've done the longest. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's the second longest job I've ever had. 
<laughs> wow. That's what, that's just wild. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'm glad that you were able to do it again. Uh, everyone check out this record. The ocean knocked me down. Gorgeous record. Also, I love that song too. Oh, thank you. Great song. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, congratulations on everything. Everyone get out to the, uh, the O4 center on Saturday, February 3rd for the record release show. You'll be playing full band. No, no, it'll be me and and a smattering of guests. Oh, great. So I, I have parts of my band that will be there kind of on various songs, uh-huh. but it's it's kind of a a, a, a a solo show with benefits or something. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds really yeah. good. Well, man, congratulations. Yeah. I hope it all goes well, and I hope to see you in person sometime soon. Sorry I had to switch it to Zoom, but I don't know if I'm nope. if I've got something no people can get. Right, right. Yeah. That's that's how we all feel these days. I know. Yeah. And we're like, all of us are like, especially like the singers, like we're almost like the, uh, like the kind of people that can't be exposed to any kind of germs because right. yeah, we can't work. nobody works. We need to all be living in bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, thank you again for doing the show. I hope I see you soon. And uh, I'll send you uh, links to all this shit when it comes out. But I love you, man. Awesome. I love you too. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. The Electrician, The Ocean Knocked Me Down, comes out this Friday, February 2nd. Check out that song, Human Echo, that you're hearing uh, in the background, fading out, fading out. Um, (laughs) Go out there and check that out wherever it is you stream and download music. The record comes out this Friday, and he is celebrating this Saturday, February 3rd, with a show at the O4 Center. All right? Record release show. Go to Matt The Electrician for all your Matt The Electrician needs. Sorry we didn't do that in person. Sorry I was on the day quill. I know I was a little out of it, but uh, hey. That's how it goes sometimes. You got The show must go on, right? I wasn't going to cancel on Matt the Electrician. I wasn't going to postpone Matt the Electrician. I'll move it to Zoom so I don't get him sick when I see him. But, uh, and I'll do it on DayQuil. But I'm not going to cancel that shit because I love that dude. And I love what I do here at How Did I Get Here. And if you love what we do at How Did I Get Here, you can subscribe on any place that you listen to these shows. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. New shows every Tuesday and every Friday from the vault. Coming. Coming. I think there's a From the Vault coming this Saturday. Look out. Maybe it's white denim. Whoa, from episode 36. What? All right. uh, Get out there and check out Human Echo. Uh, Friday, get the record. uh, The Ocean Knocked Me Down by the great Matt, the electrician, and go see his show this Saturday, February 3rd at the O4 Center. Have a great week. Let's get down. The power of protection. I'm just an animal. An alien inside of me. Whatever it will be Is whatever it will be With your long hair Don't care Attitude Barely raised an eyebrow Know-how Whatever I never knew you anyway And I was never All aboard as the bad guy White is in the rich hood no good reason to be reasoning with anyone and I feel a whole lot smaller than a shadow a tiny human echo a sliver of a second chance the power of protection 
just an animal, an alien inside of me. There is no escaping, whatever it will be, is whatever it will be. Whatever it will be.